Today, we're catching up on the Speakeasy podcast with Michael K. Williams about his new show on the Sundance channel called Happen Leonard, his memories shooting The Wire, and his upcoming role in the new Ghostbusters film. Updates on arts and entertainment. This is WSJ Speakeasy. Hello, welcome to the WSJ Speakeasy podcast. I'm Mike Ayers, a reporter for the journal's art section. Today we are joined by Michael K. Williams. You know him from The Wire, you know him from Boardwalk Empire, you know him from a lot of things. And you'll know him from a new show coming up on Sundance starting next week called Happen Leonard. Michael, welcome. Thank you, Michael. How's it been going? How's the day gone? The day's going great, you know, doing my rounds here in New York City, um, making the good people of America aware of our new show. All right, good, good. So, uh, Happen Leonard's return to television for you. Growing up, did you watch a lot of TV? Were you a TV junkie? Oh, yeah. I, 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 I'm what you call a latchkey kid. Um, and for those of you who don't know, that's when um, your mom and dad or your parents were at work when you came home from school. So, you had to have a key to get in the house. So, they called it latchkey kid. And my mom had my key on a, on a shoestring and would put it under my shirt so I wouldn't lose it. So, um, I would come home from school and Spider-Man, uh, Batman, you name it. Like, all, all those little shows that would come on that. After school, I would sit in front of the TV and watch it. After my homework, of course. Of course, of yeah, course. Of course, Those, after the homework. The 60s Batman with Adam West? Of course. Yeah. Of course. It's so funny, like being raised on that. It definitely, uh, it impacted me. A lot of those characters gave me um, the ability to dream, in a way. Interesting. Uh, was there like a performance or something that you remember from your childhood that was like, yep, that's what I want to do? acting. That's I, I need to do that. No, it wasn't about the acting. There were some people I wanted to be. I remember the first person I, I wanted to be was um, Oscar Madison from The Odd Couple. Okay. I liked the idea of drinking beer with, with hero sandwiches. That just was so cool. You know? How old were you at this point? I was un, <laughs> I, I was underage to be drinking, that's for sure. Yeah, that was one of the first um, TV shows I remember Like I wanted to be. like I don't, I don't know if when I was a kid watching TV if I ever had that big a dream that I could be an, an actor. I don't think that that was in the cards for me at the time. Uh, what did What did you want to do? I would have been happy you know, being the train conductor. I mean, I didn't really have much, uh, you know, I wanted to be a baseball player at one time. Uh, I thought about maybe going into priesthood at one point. I really gave a serious thought to being a, a pediatrician until uh, a good friend of mine, her mother, God bless the dead, she, she was a, a nurse, and she took me to prenatal ward at her hospital. And I saw my first crack baby, and I realized I didn't have the stomach for it. How old were you at that time? Like 12? No, no, a little older. I was a teenager. Okay. Yeah, like 16, 17, somewhere in there. That would certainly yeah. alter you. Yeah, I, I wanted to take everybody home. Uh, you know, I just I, I couldn't handle it. Where was that, Brooklyn? It was in Brooklyn, yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, your first audition, take us to that. Wow, okay. Well, my first audition was actually for the the part of a background dancer. I remember um, going into this office somewhere in Midtown, I forget the name of the artist. It was a rap artist. It was a female rap artist. I forget her name. And I went to a manager's office, and he told me just to go ahead and dance right there in the office. I said, right here in the office? And you don't you got like a studio or something? I said, no, no, dance right there. Move the chair and dance. And I got so nervous that um, I danced, and I remember hearing something go pop. And I was like, I'm going to pay for that later. I left the room, the office, and walking back to the train station, my uh, my left hamstring starting to tighten up. I popped my hamstring. <laughs> Yeah, but um, that was my first audition. And, um, did you get the part? Uh, no, did no. not get the part. Mm. Nah, did not get it. But I kept moving on, though. All right, good. Well, um, Happen Leonard, it's coming on Sundance. It's based on a book series Joe Lansdale wrote. Did you read the books? No, I have not yet, but I plan to. What is the series kind of about in a nutshell? You know, the series is, is about uh, relationships, basically. Um, it's based on, on a series of books. To sum it up, it's kind of like 
Dukes of Hazard, but really, really dark. You know, you have Happen Leonard. It says it takes place in the in the eighties, and um, you have this you know heterosexual white man, and you have this uh, openly gay black man in East Texas in the eighties who would kill for each other or die for each other. And it's a rarity. They're they're beaten up by by the sign of the times. You know, Hap was a a very hopeful, upbeat hippie who who thought that you know the world he could change the world. And he was starting to lose that that glimmer, and and Leonard was a very jaded ex-marine who came who had came home and felt that you know this is the best my country has to offer him is working in a rose field after he risked his life. So he was he was very angry, you know. And um, growing up in East Texas, you can only imagine the racism he must have dealt with at that time. And so um, there you have it. Yeah, it's a very unique relationship between these two men. And I was trying to think of others that I'd seen on television that kind of had that dynamic that was set in that time frame. And I, was, I couldn't think of anything. Yeah, I mean, the, it, yeah, the, the relationships in, in, in the time frame and the city which, where they live at, those are very rare, rare to find. The interesting thing, too, about the way the show is shot, you're saying it takes place in the 80s, but there's not a lot of like stereotypical 80s things happening you know there's no big hair there's no Miami Vice type things it's very it's all in the writing yeah it's in the dialogue you can tell about what the things they're talking about what's bothering them what they want to change what they want to keep right you can tell by by the dialogue what's on their mind the time of day it is yeah the one thing that uh clued me into all right this so this is not the 90s or or present day was honestly the dr pepper cans (laughs) yeah like that is what i was like i haven't seen those in a long time this is an older show yes sir but it's not necessarily like they're not just going over the top with it you know and also sometimes the the south that you know it just has its own look and feel it really does to it that isn't necessarily, you know, modern. No, and and you know, and with that comes a sense of timelessness. You know, it's it's, it's you know, it's it's timelessness. You you can't really tell what time, what what part of the where we're at in time when you go to certain certain places like that, like East Texas or Louisiana. It kept, it kept this nostalgia. Yeah, what do you think? Uh, you mentioned earlier about um kind of like this dark Dukes of Hazard feel, which is a great kind of um description of it especially the first episode there's a there's a car it's going it's going crazy it might be doing some jumps yeah. um but also felt like kind of this western vibe that i don't know if you watch justified but justified kind of had this noir type mm-hmm. western vibe mm-hmm. um i don't know where do you think it kind of fits into genre wise it, it doesn't it, it, I think that this is um, Happen Leonard is is on its own. You know, um, it is a noir piece. Um, again, the relationships that the stories that we're telling in these relationships, I don't think I've ever seen anything like that before. All right, you mentioned um, before he was uh, a gay Vietnam vet. Omar on the wire, he was gay. Does this attribute give characters depth? Do you think? I think their sexual orientation is the least most interesting thing about both of them. They're so multi layered and so mesmerizing and diverse in what's on their mind. The fact that they're gay is, is neither here nor there, at least not for me it wasn't. Yeah, it never, like Omar, it never seemed like it was ever on his agenda with Leonard. The only reason why he's 
talking about is because other people keep bringing it up, and that's exact, you know, and giving him a exactly, hard time about it. That's exactly what James Purefoy said in a previous interview. He said the, the only time Leonard had a problem with his sexuality is when he approached, when he met someone who had a problem with his sexuality. He, you know, he's going to do him no matter what. Yeah. Over the years, have you heard people that have, I'm sure you have, found inspiration in, in these characters? I've had a few people, you know, come to me, especially um, in the gay community, that that thanked me for um, breaking a, st- a stereotype of, particularly black gay men in the country. But um, I would say that the person that came to me that touched me the most that I found out was uh, Jay Z, when Jay Z had decided to get on board with the um, marriage equality. A campaign, he got some of his strength or, or courage to publicly speak out and to support that because of my portrayal of Omar. And uh, I thought that, that humbled me a lot. Yeah, I mean, it, it of course gave him a complexity. And I think, I don't know, people hadn't seen it on television. And for that character to be based in very urban Baltimore in this world and be what he was, and, you know, Leonard being based in the South in the 80s, you know, having that part of his identity, mm-hmm. those people certainly existed in the world, yeah. but they certainly probably didn't have a great time, no. you know, with no. that. Yeah, I could imagine. And to, still today, you know. It's hard. Still today, I, I don't understand you know, what the thing is with uh, allowing people to live and let live. So how do you think Leonard is different from, I don't know, your previous big roles, whether it be TV and film? Like, how is he kind of unique for you in terms of bringing him to life? Um, what stood out for me, what made Leonard different um, or stood out for me with, with who he was, was he was a Vietnam veteran. From my knowledge, there hasn't been much light on the experience in the black community of how we dealt with uh, going to war or post-traumatic stress syndrome since dead presidents. So I really loved the fact that they were dealing with that. That was part of who he was. That was some of where his anger came from. And it was interesting for me to to, to um, dive into that, to explore that. Yeah, I mean, ever since, you know, the U.S. Army's been signing up everybody to go fight for them, yeah. it's a known fact, you know, the way they're treated when they come home is it's a different experience. Yeah, it's a little, it's a little disheartening. Leonard, he didn't, he couldn't even. Not only could he, he could barely support himself, but you know, he had a man who he loved, his uncle, eating cat food, you know, and he couldn't even say, well, here, uncle, here's a couple of dollars, get something to eat. He was broke. He was barely feeding himself. So uh, a lot of, a lot of anger, a lot of like self hatred came from that. I would, I would guess. How long did it take you to kind of get into the, into the character? Did you have a lot of time to prepare, or not, not so much? You know, um, at the usual time, what a small, a small young network could give you at the, the normal time. You know, you get into those, you get into those clothes, man. You put on those, those cowboy boots. You step out into that humidity. You kind of turn it on. It just, yeah. It's just kind of there already, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, man, cat food. That sounds terrible. Yeah, I mean, you know, but that was that was real. That was that was that's, that's still happening today. You know, to a lot of our, our vets, they're not they're not supported the way I feel they should be. So are people coming to you with roles these days, or are you still kind of doing the audition thing, or is it kind of like a combination of both? It's definitely a a combination of both. I I personally, I still enjoy the audition process. It's fun for me. It's my little chance to get like a little one-act play, if you will. Yeah. Um, And I'm a big fan of my energy. I, 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 I pride myself in working hard to bring good energy into a room. And uh, I love seeing people respond and, and exchanging energy and, and just, you know, and feeling up, filling the room with just good vibes. And a lot of times, you know, a, a tape audition a tape audition is difficult than actually being in the room 
and letting the producers and the directors see you and feel your energy and, you know, just getting that good, warm, fuzzy thing happening in the room. So I'm still a big fan of the audition process, but I do get some offers. My um, role of Leonard was based on a, on a, a conversation with Jim. We met and <laughs> in person, and, you know, he felt my energy and was like, yeah, you, you're my dude. We rocked out. Do you get nervous? Yeah, I still get nervous. You I, do? I, yeah, I believe in always keeping one butterfly in the stomach. It keeps you honest. keeps you on your toes. Yeah, even... You get too comfortable, and I think it's time to check out. All right, we're going to take a quick break for the moment, and we will come back soon. Hi, this is Kevin Sintemong. This is Beth Cracklauer. Check us out on the Off Duty Podcast. We talk about food, cocktails, all of the finer things in life. Check us out at wsj.com slash podcast. And become a subscriber on iTunes. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously. Now, WSJ Speakeasy. Hi, we're back with Michael K. Williams from the upcoming Sundance series, Happen Leonard. Michael, thanks for joining us today. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me. The uh, premiere party here in uh, in Manhattan at Hill Country Barbecue. How was that? We had a great time. It was um, the first time that the whole cast had been together since we um, split up in Louisiana last year. So that was really fun, and the food is great there. Did you take any home? Yes, I did. <laughs> Took home a lot of brisket and macaroni and cheese. Where, where, where are you living these days? I'm still in Brooklyn. Okay, what parts? Williamsburg, although oh. I grew up in Flatbush, East Flatbush. Okay, you like it? Yeah, you know, it's uh, sexy, you know, convenient. What do you do there? Do you do you go out to eat a lot? or? or... I'm, a, I'm pretty much a homebody. I, I, um, cooking is um one of my pastimes. It's, it's very relaxing for me, cathartic. So I love to cook. I love to feed people. You can find me a lot at uh, any given Thursday under the tutelage of DJ Questlove at, at Brooklyn Bowl. At Brooklyn Bowl? Yeah. You're learning how to DJ? No, I just bowl and let him do you the DJ. You just bowl? I love to bowl and dance. That's my thing. I, I let him. I let DJ Quest do his thing. He's the DJ. But I, you can find me there any given Thursday. We shot Happen Leonard down in Louisiana. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Did you partake in the food down there? I ate so much crawfish in Louisiana. <laughs> I, I really fell in love with that state. I love the vibration of the people. I'll never forget the first time I asked a young lady at a party. I said, well, um, how do you eat crawfish? I said, how do you eat this thing? She said, yeah. you really want to know? I said, yeah, I really want to know. She leaned in. She said, you suck the head and eat the ass. <laughs> I was like, okay, <laughs> here we go. <laughs> Did her instructions prove helpful? Yeah, that's how you eat it. That's, <laughs> that's how you, you know. Shout out to Louisiana. <laughs> okay, so how long were you down there for? Six weeks? No, happened then. We shot for three months. Three months for six hours. Give and take an alligator here or there, a few tornadoes, you know. All right. What was the kind of the most difficult part of it? The weather took some getting used to the hum- the humidity. I wasn't a big fan of the poison oak and ivory and mm-hmm. the copperhead snakes. They kind of creeped me out a little bit. But hey, you know. So you were mentioned earlier. You know, you kind of do the audition, but sometimes people come to you. Do you have to, have you ever turned things down that you just wish that you could have done, but you just, for one reason, you haven't been able to? Well, yeah, the, the most recent thing that comes to mind was um, uh, The Sweet Blood of Jesus that was uh, written and directed. I believe it was written, but it was definitely directed by Spike Lee. I love Spike so much. I respect him so much. Anytime he calls me, I like to, to, to accommodate him, and I wasn't able to due to uh, scheduling with Boardwalk, but... We're going to work it out. He's going to get me on the next one. Did you see Chirac? Not yet. I have to go see it. Shout out to my little sister, Felicia Snoop Pearson and Lala. Right now, what's going on in Chicago, it just it breaks my heart. I'm on this other show. I'm one of the producers on Viceland, one of the new network. Yeah. And and Spike Jones and, and Shane Smith, they um, offered me a job to be uh, the voice of a show called Black Market. Another show on the um, the network is called Noisy. And they did an episode in Chicago. And when I tell you, I've watched it three times. 
and I can't get through it without crying. This particular episode I was doing was called The Gun Run Story of how illegal guns get around our country. So in doing that, we had to go to Chicago and to the South Side to interview a group of these young men. They came in. They literally had just been in a shootout. There were hot guns all over the table. He didn't want his identity. Like they literally felt hot. Yeah, literally. I touched one. He, he said, we just came from banging out. You know, they, they literally just had a shootout and came and did the interview with us. So um, as he's we're micing him up and getting him ready because he didn't want his identity shown, so we had to mask him. After the interview, he takes off his mask. He looks me dead in the eye. He says, yo, homie, come take me with you, bro. I don't want to die on these streets. He died last month on those streets of Chicago. 23 years old, broad daylight, him and his grandmother had a light in a minivan. Think she survived, but he's dead. Shout out to Tone, man. But um, what's happening in Chicago is real. I love Chicago, but, you know, it's, it's in trouble. I mean, you grew up in New York in the 70s. Mm-hmm. How do you think that compares to present-day Chicago? Well, the difference where I grew up in, it was a ton of violence, violence, a lot of murder. But the one thing that my neighborhood and the time that I grew up in we, we weren't plagued with was the gang violence, which is ironic because, you know, the Bloods and the Crips was, to my knowledge, supposed to be an offspring of the Panthers. It was meant to bring love and, and unity into the community. I don't know how it got to this. You know, I wanted to stop. And your thought, it's just, what does it kind of stem from? Just like lack of resources, opportunity, education? Absolutely. If you put anybody in some of the living conditions that, you know, certain communities are forced to live in, you know, what would you do? It's not why are they doing that. What would you do in those circumstances is what I ask. Do you think the... uh not making excuses for anything. I'm just asking you, what would you do? And that's what my show, uh, Black Market, is about. When we say Black Market, our definition at Viceland is when the system fails you, you create your own. You can relate that to Happen Leonard. You know, you had these two men. The system failed them. This man took care of his He defended it. He put his life down for his country, and he came home and was forced to. His only job he can get was working in a rose field while his uncle ate cat food. You know, same thing with Hap. You know, he... You know, he had big, big dreams of making America the best it could be. And, you know, his hope, but you can see the the light leaving his eyes. It feels like, you know, kind of a reoccurring theme in your life over the last 10 years in your work. These people that don't have these opportunities and are forced to make decisions that may or may not be quote unquote good. But they're in that position where it's do or die. That's the whole reason why I feel I was chosen, why the universe put me in this position to do what I do. People often ask me, you know, are you afraid of being typecasted? I was like, no, because every one of my characters are, are different. My child life growing up, you know, I had it bumpy. So I'm put in this position now to, through art, be a voice or a conduit for people that don't get stages, don't get microphones. Always the same thing, lack of resources, lack of opportunity, lack of education. What are you going to get? You're going to get a bomb. People are going to implode and explode. It's just it's not fair. And so, you know, through my work, I've been blessed to give people a, a, like, that's right, that dude knows what it's like. I, I relate to that character, and I love being the people's actor. Do you think about that daily? Is that something that kind of goes through your mind daily or, or weekly? Daily. You know, as I get older and as my stage grows, my platform grows, I ask myself, what is this for? What is my purpose for being here? I have to believe that I've been put here to be a voice for the people I love when the everyday working man, no matter white, Chinese, black, Hispanic, Native American, I don't care when when regular everyday men 
stop me on the street and say, man, keep doing what you do, brother. I respect your work. I translate that as they relate. And so as long as I remain relatable, number one, it keeps me humble. And number two, it keeps my art universal, my message universal. And I can use that to maybe affect or impact one person's life. My job is done. It's a hard thing to do, though. It is to stay simple yeah. and stay out, to stay out of my way. It is hard. So many things being thrown at me that can make me think it's all about me. And in reality, it's not. not. Are you religious? Spiritual. No rituals. Just <laughs> energy. <laughs> all right, good. Um, you got Ghostbusters coming up this summer. What's that, What's that going to be like? It's going to be a lot of fun, man. Those four women, I have so much respect for them. Melissa McCarthy, my baby doll. Leslie? Kristen Wiig. Oh, uh, Wig. Yeah, I got a thing for Kristen. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and I got a thing for my girl, Leslie Jones. Shout out to Les Dog. You know, and Kate McKinnon, man, those, those women, I, in my opinion, who are coming from someone who's a fan of the original Ghostbusters, I think these four ladies are carrying the torch with honor. What's Hawkins like? Hawkins is... um. A, a tad bit constipated. <laughs> he needs an enema. Nah, but uh, um, yeah, I had fun working, playing that character. And the main thing I, I enjoyed was getting to work beside um, Matt Walsh. He's awesome. That dude is, a, is, is just, man, he's, he's, a, he's the best kept secret in Hollywood right now. One of, he's really dope. He's the, yeah, he's the he's the real deal. Yes, he um, is. The, you know, he was at UCB here mm-hmm. in the city for you know its early days, and Veep that show is different comedy planes. So, do you remember when you saw the original Ghostbusters? I've pegged you to be about nineteen. Yeah, yeah, around 18, there. Eighteen, yeah. All the right, best good. thing about Ghostbusters, though, really, I got to work with Slimer. He's so cool, a bit of a diva. But mad cool. <laughs> Did you get slimed? No. Officer Hawkins does not do slime. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Michael, thanks so much for joining us today. You've okay, been listening man. to the Wall Street Journal Speakeasy Podcast. For more information, check out wsj.com slash podcasts.